Okay, we're going to start here on the bottom of Chavzayin Amud Bet, right after the Mishnah. The Mishnah discussed that any derivative of the tree we don't like with except Pishtan. Whatever it is, does not have a din of tomato olimel pishtan. Again, we discuss that all other materials do create an ohel. The question is, does the ohel itself become tamay? And that is only true by pishtan. The ohel itself will become tamay, not only create an ohel, but become tamay as well. Then we brought the puzzle from Yoshua that told us that pishtan does have a classification of eights, and that's why formulation of Mishnah is that way. Now we're going to have to discuss the latter half of the Mishnah, which is a yotzimin eights. How do we know that? So Amar Rabbi Elazar, Gamar Ohel, Ohel Mimishkan. It's like Zeir Shabbat that they learn out from the Mishkan. Tivocha, Zotat Torah, Adam Diomut Beohel. By the parish of Chukat, where it discusses Tumat the Mate, it says Tumat Ha Ohel, it says Zotat Torah, Adam Kiyamut Beohel, when he's in an Ohel. Tivatam, by the Mishkan, it says Vayifros et Ohel al Mishkan. They place the Ohel on top of the Mishkan. What we call the Mishkan, it also includes the Chatzer as well. But the main area of the Mishkan is where the Kodesh and Kodesh Kodeshim are housed. It has Krashim, wooden boards that go around it. And then it has covers on top of it. The first layer of covers are made out of Yeriot Shesh Mazar. They're made out of linen, Pishtan. The second layer of cover is made out of Yeriot Izim, from the goat's hair. Then the third level, which is here, we're going to see in Agamah Machloket, whether there's a third and fourth level of cover, or if it's just a third level of mixed cover, which is Ayalim Adumim and the Orot Techashim. Those are skins made out of the Ayalim Adumim and Orot Techashim. And the Gemara will discuss that today. What the Gemara is pointing out is that by Yifroset the Ohel Mishkan, he put the Ohel on top of the Mishkan. So the Ohel that's being defined here is the first cover on the Mishkan. The first cover on the Mishkan is made out of Yeriot Sheish Machzar, which is linen. So that is what an oel, the definition of oel here is, pishtan is linen, and that connects, Shava back to Zotot Torah, Adam Kiamut Be'ohel. Malalan shel pishtan, karui ohel, afkan shel pishtan, karui ohel. Just like by the mishkan, pishtan is what's called the ohel. So to overhear that the pishtan is called the ohel. Ilam alahan shizurin v'chutan kaful vav. Just like by the Mishkan, there's a special way to prepare it. First of all, they were shizurim, they were twisted, they were twined. And then, bechutan kaful vav. And then they also were six ply, a very thick rope that was used for the weaving. So afkan, maybe over here too, the ohel has to have that requirement, of shizurim bechutan kaful vav. Tamadomar, ohel, ohel, riba. The terminology ohel is used multiple times there, bezotatra, damki amut bohel. And ohel is a riboy, to say that, not just the way it was in the Mishkan, but even if it's not exactly the way it was in the Mishkan. Right? It says, If O-L-O, if the word O-L is used multiple times in order to be Merabet, to include other things, then include everything. Why are you limiting yourself to Pishtan? So when it says, in King, Then the Gzair doesn't have any value. If you include everything, then the Gzair is meaningless. So what we say is, the Gzair tells us Pishtan, teaches the, the information about the material. And then O-L-O-L O-L teaches us that we're not exactly like we were in the Mishkan. We don't have the same standards or requirements. It just has to be made of Pishtan. So when it says, halan krashim, afkan krashim, Why don't we say that just like over there by the Mishkan, it was the boards. So do over here, it's the boards. The way Rashi reads that is that, Let us say that the wood is also called the O-L, and therefore... 
if you had a covering or a ohel made out of wood, it'd also be mikabel tumah. But Tosafot doesn't like that explanation because it says that the walls, the fnot, are not called ohel or the top. We know that from sukkah. Fnot are very different than the kirui, than the ceiling or the skach that's on top. Why would you have a habamina to think that there should be eight, should be the cover on top? But rather, the question of the Gemara is, maybe it should only be when there is wood, that is the walls, and Pishtan is the cover, that's when you'll have Tumah. If you want to replicate what was in the Mishkan, maybe the same way in the Mishkan that you had Pishtan on top of Krashim, so to over here, maybe you'll need Pishtan on top of Krashim in order to create an Ohel that will be Mikabel Tumah. So Gemara says, that's not correct, because Amakra Vasita Krashim La Mishkan you will make Krashim to support the Mishkan. Mishkan Karui Mishkan. Ve'en Krashim Karui Mishkan. The Mishkan is called the Mishkan, and the Krashim are not called the Mishkan. My point is that when we use the Pasuk before, Vayifros et Oel ala Mishkan, when they put the Oel on top of the Mishkan, the Mishkan is what they're referring to here, and the Mishkan is the Ohel, and the Krashim don't have a definition of Ohel. The word Ohel is only associated with the cover and with the Mishkan itself, but not with the Krashim. Rashi points out, Mishkan Mishkan Ohel Moed. The word Mishkan is associated with the cover or with the Ohel, not with the walls. So therefore the walls are not included in what we are making the Gzereshev about, whether it's the Ohel or the Mishkan. We should make a cover for the Ohel. So on top of the Yuriot, Shesh Mazar, we said before, are Yiriotizim. And on top of the Yiriotizim are the Orotelim, Adamim, and the Orotechashim. So here we say, Vasita Mixelo, they have another cover on top of the Ohel. So Hachanami, Mixelo Ikre Ohel. There's two different words. One is a Mixel, a cover for the Ohel, and the other one is the Ohel. What about a skin of a non kosher animal? Would that be Mikabel Tuma, Beola Mate? If the paradigm of where we're learning Oel from is the Mishkan, and in the Mishkan, we don't say that the Orot that were on top are classified as an Ohel, which means that only Pishtan is classified as an Ohel that we make Kabotumah, not even kosher animals. Kosher animals that are found in the Mishkan, whose skins are used on top, and there we rejected that as being an ohel because it's called a mechseh, it's called a cover, not an ohel. We say no tumah for anything besides pishtan. Well, if by the kosher animals that were used in the mishkan, there is no tumah to ohel, then why would you ever pose a question about non-kosher animals, whether they are mikabel tumah as an ohel? They're not even in the picture. They're not even in the Mishkan. And they're not being in the Mishkan. There's no way they would qualify to become Tamei as an Oel. So how do you explain his question? Shiny Hotam. The Hadar Hadrei Kra. Over there it's a little different because the Pasuk brought it back in. Dikhtiv. Nasuwa Jiriyot HaMishkan. Vet O Moed. Mikhsehu. Pumukseya Tachash Asher Lav. Mikish Elyon Tachton. Ma Tachton Kori Oel. Af Elyon Kori Oel. They carry the Yiriyot HaMishkan. The Yiriyot are those covers of the Mishkan. Vet O Moed. And the Omoed, Michseyu, its cover, Umichseya Tachash Asherlav. And then the cover of skin that's above it. So there's a hackish in the Pasuk between all of those items. There's the Omoed, the Michseyu, Michseya Tachash. So just like the lower area is called an Ohel, there's a connection to the upper covers, which will also have or be granted that status of Ohel. So just like the lower area is called an Ohel, that's the Yiriot Sheshmashzar, so too the 
Yiriot Izim. In this pasuk is called Omoed, so it's also granted that designation of Oel. In addition to that, Mechseyu, the cover, which is the Orot, Elim Adamim, Tachash, and the cover of the Tachash will also be included. Those Elyonim will also have or be granted that status of Oel. Because they're brought together in the pasuk. Since they're brought together in the pasuk, that shows us that or the same status as Pishtan. Therefore, if the Ohel was made at an Or Behemoth, it would be Mikabel Tumah. So now that we know that Or, skins, hides, have the same status as Pishtan, that they are Mikabel Tumah as an Ohel, then the question of Rabbi Lazar becomes relevant. Now that we know that Or Behemoth has the status of an Ohel, does that only apply to Behemoth Torah? Does that also apply to Behemoth Tmeah? And that was the question that was posed by Rabbi Lazar. So Gufa, Gemara wants to understand this. What's the story with this Orbe Does it accept Tuma when it is the Ohel? What's the question? Rabbi Elazar is the author of the statement at the beginning of the Gemara that we learn everything out of the Mishkan. So what is his question here? If Ohel is learned from Mishkan, and in the Mishkan we were talking about Orot Behemot Orot, then why does he have any question as regards to Orot Behemot Meot? He wants to know what the animal was called the Tachash. So once he knows what the Tachash is, he'll know which skins are included under the qualification of Ohel. They will be defined as an Ohel. Whatever is defined as an Ohel is Mikabel Tumah as an Ohel. So if you think that the skins on top are kosher animals, then only kosher animals would be Mikabel Tumah. If the skins on top were for non-kosher animals, then... Also, non-kosher animal skins would be mikabel tumah as an oel. Tamehaya otaraya. Was the animal kosher or not? Amar Rav Yosef, mighty baile. Why is it even a question? Tanina. We have an explicit Tanaic work that tells us that you only may use for the service of a kodesh baruchu kosher animals. That's the definition of what you can use or qualifies for malachet shemayim. Then we're only talking about kosher animals. Why does Rabbi Lazar have a safek? So Meiti Rabbi Abba. So Rabbi Abba asked Rabbi Yehuda Omer Shnei Michsaot Ayu. They were actually two covers. Echad she orot elim adamim. Echad she orot tichashim. Again, we said they were the yiriot. Ten yiriot that were made out of shish mazar pishdan. Then on top of that, there were eleven yiriot. These sheets that were connected. They were on top of that. They were made out of the hair of the izim. On top of that, there was orot elim adamim and orot tichashim. There were skins from the tachash and the skins from the elim madamim, the red rams. Once we have those last two covers, how does that work? Those last two covers. So Rebuda claims that they were independent. First they had skins from the Orot Elim Adamim. Then they had the skins of the Orot Techashim. Two separate covers on top. Whereas Rabbi Nechemia believes that they were actually one. There was one cover. It was equivalent to the Tala Ilan. As Rashi says, is a behemah minumeret. It is a spotted behemah in many colors. Spotted behemah that has many colors. Basically, what they said was that they combined the two skins together and made out of it a single skin made up of both the Orot HaTachashim and the Orot Ayalim Madamim. Between them, they made a single cover on top. Now, they're describing the cover as being a Talailan. And a Talailan is a non-kosher animal. It doesn't mean that it was a Talailan. It just means that it was like, it looked like a Talailan. Kamin Talailan Hu Gvanim it's like a Talilan that has many colors. But not exactly a Talilan, because over there, a Talilan is a non-kosher animal. 
Now here we're using kosher animals. We use the tachash and the ayalim. I'm Rav Yosef Hihochi. I know Demir Targamina, and I understand the Targum of tachash now is saskona. The Targum on the Torah, when it says that it should be made from or tachash, calls them the or saskona. Shusas bigvanim harbei. It rejoices with its many colors. So the tachash is this colorful animal, and therefore the translation of tachash into Aramaic is saskona. Rav Yosef, remember, is a Saginohor, is blind, and therefore he is a Baki in Targum. He knows the Targum because he was not permitted to learn Torah Shebechtav because he can't read the Ktav. So he knew the Torah through the Targum. And that's why Rav Yosef many times speaks about the Targum, or what was the translation of the word in the Targum. So here he explains Saskona is really an acronym for Sas Bigvanim Harbei. Rejoices in many colors. Now Rav Amar, Orbe Matmeya, the fact that the Orbe Matmeyat is, or accepts Tumah as an Ohel, comes from here. It's not coming out of the Mishkan, because the Mishkan doesn't have any non-kosher animals in it. That's clearly not the source. So where is the source for it? We're talking about so far kosher animal skins, and Pishtan are definitely included from the Ohel. Now we want to know what about the non-kosher animal skins. Titania. Or, O, Be'or. In Nigaim, which we discussed yesterday in the Nigaim, in the Pasuk of Nigaim, it says that, Beged Semer or Beged Pishtim, O, Be'or, and then O, Bechomelechet, Or. It could have written in the Pasuk, Or. It has an additional bet, which is Be'or. So, Reba, Or, Be'matmeya. That comes to include, not only a kosher skin, but even skins from non-kosher animals that we've made to make, Nigaim. If, to hand it a Beged, had a piece of clothing to the Kohen, and then the Nega became Tamei in the hands of the Kohen. That is also included from the extraneous Bet in Be'or. Or, Katsatsmi Kulan Basarachat Mehen, if he takes a whole bunch of skins, different types of skins or materials, and then puts them together to make into a single weave or a single baguette, Minayin, how do you know that that's also Mekabel Tumat Negaim? Tamal Omar, O Bechomelechet Or. Anything that involves these types of skins. There's a reboy in Nigayim of not only Or, which is would have included kosher animals, but even Be'or, which would include non-kosher animal skins. And then Bechomelechet Or, which is the remainder of the Pasu, comes to include, even if it's not just one skin, it's made up of multiple different patches of skins, that also will accept Tumat Nigayim. Be'ikolamifrach. So now, what's the suggestion here? The suggestion is that we learn how Tumat to make from Nigayim. We know by Nigayim that what's classified as clothing includes these skins. So let's say just like Nigayim, it's Mikabel Tumah, so too by Tumata Ohel it would also be Mikabel Tumah. So the guy says, Ikalamifrach, that's not a good logical argument. Even though Tumata Mate is more Chamur than Nigayim, Nigayim also have certain stringencies that don't apply to Tumata Mate. By Tumat Nigayim, we know that they have, as we discussed yesterday, Tumah, even in the spools of the warp and the woof, they become Tamei, even if they're not a Beged yet. That's not true by Tumat Ha'ol. Ela Gamar Mishratzim. Learn it out from Shratzim, the Tanya. Or, in the Yolor Behemah Torah, when a Sheretz comes into contact with a kosher skin that makes it Tamei, the O is a reboy, and the O or that's written by Shretzim will include not only kosher animal skins, but even non-kosher animal skins. Again, that doesn't work so well. We want to learn out Tumat Oel from Shretzim. Shretzim have a chumrah, which is that they are 
even with size of a lentil. And that's not true by mate. By mate, you need a minimum of a kezayit. So nigayim yochichu. What we'll say is that between the two of them, between the dinim of mega and the dinim of shotzim, in both instances we know that we've included a non-kosher animal skin. And between the two of them we'll create a tzad hashaveh, which is the common denominator between them. And the common denominator will teach us the din that we want by ola mate, which is v'chazar adin, lo re'izeh kereizeh, v'lo re'izeh kereizeh, Neither Shretzim is exactly like Negaim, and Negaim is not exactly like Shretzim. Atzad HaShavishavim, the common denominator between them is Shor Tamei Bahen, that skins do accept Tumah. Vasa Or Or And it says that non-kosher skins have the same din as kosher skins. Afani Shor Bo. We know that Or is Tamei by Olamate because we know that the kosher animal skins are included in the word Ol. So we'll also say there that the equation applies that just like or beimatora is tamei there, so too or beimatmeya will also be tamei in that case because now the chumra of nigaim and the chumra of shvatim are wiped out by each other because nigaim doesn't have the chumra of keadasha and shvatim don't have the chumra of sheti ve'erev. Samleirova mi barnish obviously. To distinguish between Rava, who was making the original statement, so it's Rava and Biranish Larvashi Ikol Mifrach. There is a common denominator between Shratzim and Nigaim, makes them more chamur than Ohel, which is Malatzad Shaveshven. They have a common denominator. Shkem Vein Pachot Mikazayit. They both have Tumah less than a Kazayit. Shratzim is Keadasho and Nigaim is Kegris. Both of which are less than a kezayit. All a mate needs a kezayit. Tamar b'meit, you know, tamelo kezayit. So now I can't make a limud, a kavahomer, etc. shaveh, because they have something that distinguishes them from all a mate. And they are more chamur than all a mate, and therefore I can't extrapolate from shvatsim and the gaim to all moit, even in the common denominator between them. Because their common denominator involves a chumrah that doesn't apply by all a mate. El amarova mi barnish. So Rabbi Baranish now offers an alternative explanation of where we know Orbe Matmeah from. Learning out of a Kavachomer from hair of the goat. Right? Again, we call it Notza, feathers of the goat, because it's plucked out, the way the feathers are plucked out. She'ein mitamei b'negayim. That does not have tumat negayim. Mitamei ba'ohel hamait. And yet it does accept tuma in the ohel hamait. Because we saw yesterday and the day before that by negayim, tzemiru pishtim is the only material that accepts tuma when it comes to bigadim. So over there, by notzashalizim, it does not apply. Notzashalizim does not make up a beget that is Mikabel Tumat Negaim. But yet, when it comes to Olam 8, if you made the Ol out of this hair of goats, then it would be Mikabel Tumat in Olam 8. So then, Orbe Matmeya comes to a non-kosher skin, Shimitamabi Negaim. It does have Tumat Negaim, because we saw before, or Beor. The Beor came to include even non-kosher animal skins that they are qualified to accept the Tumat Negaim. Certainly, it should have Tumah Ba'olamait. Now, the Gemara leaves it here. The difficulty with this Gemara is that you basically created the same Libut again, which is I'm trying to learn from Nigaim to Olamait. Nigaim has a din at Semen Pishtim, yes. Notashalizim, no. By Nigaim, we know that Orbei Matmeyah is Mikabal Tumah. So now we move over to Olamait. To Olamait, we know that Notashalizim is Mikabal Tumah, because that's one of the covers of the Mishkan. Therefore, it's Mikabal Tumah. So certainly, Orbeim Atmeyah, which does have Tumah Benigayim, should apply by Olamate. 
But basically what you're saying is I'm going to extrapolate through a Kabbalah Chumar from Nigaim to Oamit. We should have the same problem we had before, which is that Nigaim has a Chumrah. Nigaim has the Chumrah of Sheti Berev. What happened to that question? So Tosafot asked it. You can see here there are two large Tosafot trying to deal with this issue, which is that Sheti and Erev cause you a problem again. Tosafot does a lot of acrobatics and doesn't get very far in trying to explain it. It's very difficult to explain this Gemara, given what we know from the previous Samud. And Tosafot answers that possibly we're learning out of Kelim. And by utensils, Sheti and Erev have no relevance. So since they have no relevance by Kelim... That will be a chumrah that's not applicable in the situation that we're making the Kavah Chomer. And by doing that, it can't break or ruin the logical argument to extrapolate from Nigaim to Olamate. I will say that it's still very difficult, and that the Gemara, it's interesting, just makes the statement without addressing this issue. And Tosafot, you can see over here, both the Tosafot and the Tosafot Yishanim are trying to deal with that issue. All right now the Gemara continues. Now what are we going to do with this member of Rav Yosef? Rabbi Yosef said before that everything that is Melechet Shamayim, anything that has to be done for the sake of heaven has to be done with kosher animals. So where is the application of that din? Because once we say that a skin of a non-kosher animal is included, then it's clear that we're not learning anything out from the din of the Ohel. Everything's called an Ohel and even non-kosher skins. It doesn't teach us anything. So now we want to know what are the halachic implications of what Rabbi Yosef said. When it says, Litfilin, we need to know if it's filin. Your tefillin have to be made out of kosher animal hides. So, Tefillin behejuktibu. Tefillin say it explicitly. Which is not so explicit, but it says, Lamanti Torah Hashem beficha. That the Torah Hashem has to be in your mouth. Minam mutar beficha has to be something that you can eat. So that which you can eat, you can use for your tefillin. So it had to be a kosher animal to use for your tefillin. Ela oran. That is for the boxes. The boxes in which the tefillin are housed, that we need to know that they are made out of kosher animals. Because the Hashem Beficha only teaches you things that are written. So it means the cloth that you write on has to be something that you could otherwise eat. It has to be a kosher animal. But the boxes, you don't write anything on the boxes. If you don't write anything on the boxes, maybe they don't have to be from kosher animals. Because then the Mantiyat Hashem Beficha doesn't apply to them. That's not so true. The Tefillin Shorosh have a shin imprinted on them. So that means that there is something written on them. If something written on them, then they automatically would require mina mutar b'ficha, that they be permitted to be eaten. And therefore, you'd only be allowed to use a kosher animal for the boxes. Ela l'korchan b'se'aran l'tofran b'gidin. They teach you that when you wrap the parshiot and you want to tie them up, you have to tie them up with a se'ar from a hair from a kosher animal. L'tofran b'gidin. And to stitch them up. When you stitch either the batim, or, if you had to put the cloth together, then you would have to do it with Gidim. That's something that we know, because it's Allah Chodomosh Misinai, that we don't learn from this Braita that is brought by Rabbi Yosef. The Tanya. The fact that Tfilin have to be square is learnt out of the Allah Chodomosh Misinai. It's in the Sora that we have. It's not written anywhere. That they are tied with hairs and stitched with gidim, with the sinews, those are also halacha the Moshe misinai. So I don't need you to teach me that. Ella liritzuot. The teacher's about the straps. That the straps have to come from kosher animals. That the fact that the straps have to be black is also halacha the Moshe misinai. It says, 
The Allah only tells us what the color of the straps is. It doesn't tell us what the straps have to be made out of. So therefore, the halacha that Rabbi Yosef comes to teach us is that the straps also have to come from kosher animals. What's interesting here is that as a makloket Rashi and Tosafot throughout Shas. The last time we had it was in Brochot, Davavom and Aleph. We had it actually, we discussed it there in Brochot, Davavom and Aleph. There, the Gemara is discussing about the Tefillin Shorosh, and it says, Baruch Kol Amearetz, Kishem Hashem Nikra Alecha, V'yaru'u Mimeka, that the Amearetz will see you and fear you. The Gemara over there, there, Darshans, what does it mean? To see you, they'll see your Tefillin Shorosh, and they will fear you. So Rashi says, why is it the Tefillin Shorosh? What's so special about them? Rashi says it's because the Rov Shem Hashem is found on the Tefillin Shorosh. Rov Shem Hashem is the name of Hashem, which is Shin, then Dalet, then Yud. The Shin is found on the Batim themselves. We know they were imprinted the Shin. The Dalet is the knot that you have behind your head. And the Yud is the knot in the Tefillin Shal Yad. It's down when you tie by the knot there, you have a Yud. It sits on the Mabarta that touches the Bayit. So Rashi says, out of the Shem Hashem, two out of the three letters on the Tefillin Shorosh. Throughout Shas, Tosfut says that's wrong. You can't say that. Because the Ritzuot clearly are not writing. How does Tosfut know that there's no writing on the Ritzuot? Because Gemara here says, anything that has letters written on it, we know comes from a kosher animal. Therefore, Plaf has to be from a kosher animal. Therefore, the Batim have to be from a kosher animal because they have the Shin on them. Therefore, according to Rashi, the Ritzuot would have to be from a kosher animal because they have an Adalit and a Yud written on them. Yet, our Gemara doesn't accept it. Argumar says, how do you know the ritual come from a kosher animal? Because of Rav Yosef. That anything from Lechet Shemaim has to be from an Orbe Mato Rabbi Ovad. They can't learn it out from Mutar Beficha. They can't learn it out from the fact that it's written on the Ritzuot. Tosafot quotes Argumar here as his proof. Everywhere he argues on Rashi, he quotes Argumar as the proof. And one other Gemara, Ritzuot are considered to be Tashmishe Kedusha, not Kedusha. They're considered to be those that service something that's Kadosh, not Kadosh inherently in themselves. From there, Tosafot says that cannot be the explanation of what's special about the Shorosh, because the Ritzuot don't count. The letters on the Ritzuot are not what counts. And therefore, Tosafot just says, the difference between Shorosh and Shoyad is that the Shorosh is visible, and the Shoyad is on your eye, covered by your sleeve. And therefore, the reason that they're going to fear you is when they see the Shorosh, because that's the only thing they can't see. They don't see the Tefillin Shoyad. But not because of Rashi's suggestion. And this Gemara is Tosafot's proof throughout Shas that Rashi's wrong about counting letters in the Ritzuot. In defense of Rashi, you could say, which Shaul is suggesting, which is that there's a difference between imprinting or over there by the Don Shorosh, we have it sticking out, but having a letter that's written versus forming a letter through the straps, which is not actually written in any way or formed in a sense truth is that the square seems to be a later development that they made the square for the knot, but those that do have it, they claim that it's two dollars together. That's why if you don't have any specific Masora to have a square, then we'd opt to make a dollar unless you have a specific Masora that says that would make it a square. Gemara says, Gemara wants to know, what's the story with this Tachash, the question that you asked before, which is, what's the din of Tachash? What is a Tachash in the end? What's the story with that? It's its own creation. It's its own entity. It's interesting, Rabbi Meir has this in many places in Mishnayot. The Rabbi Meir have an opinion that an item that has a safek is considered to be a biria bifneatzma. Number places like an androgynous. Androgynous is both as male and female organs, sexual organs. Mishnayot discuss whether they have a din of zachar, din of nekeva, if you have a safek. Rabbi Meir is the opinion, it's Birya Bifneatzma. It's its own entity. Same thing with Koy in the Mishnah also. It's a Safek Chaya, Safek Behemah. 
But it has properties of achaya, properties of behema, as an afkamino if you can eat the fats, push if you need to say adam. So all these nafkamino there. And then again, Rabbi Meir says, birya bifnei atzma. It's its own entity. And here again, right, those, uh, original tachash, the tachash is birya bifnei atzma. It's own entity. The safek about the tachash is what type of animal is this? Is it a chaya? Is it a behema? Kosher, non-kosher? What's the status of this animal? Meir comes again and says it's a birya bifnei atzma. Chomim never could uh, never could decide or never determine whether it was a chaya or beima. It had a single horn. It was a unicorn. And it was only at that time period of Moshe period for that time. He utilized it for the Mishkan, and after that it went into Geniza. I don't know if that means it went extinct, or it was never used again, it disappeared. In fact that it has a single horn on it, indicates that unicorn would have to be kosher. That the shore, Abraham Rishon brought as a korban, had a single horn and it was a unicorn as well. Shinemar, because the Pasuk and Tilim says, V'titav, L'Hashem Yishorpar, Makrin, Mafris. was better than to Hashem like a Shorpar, Makrin and Mafris. So Makrin means it has, or Naim, it has horns. Mafris is that it has split hooves. Where it says, Makrin, Tarte, Mashma. Makrin is a plural. So what do you mean, a unicorn? That sounds like it had two horns over there. Makran. Pasuk does not have a Yud in it. So even though the creed, the reading of it is makrin, nevertheless, the writing, the teeth, the way it's written is written without a yud, which indicate that it was singular. And therefore, the Gemara Dashans for that, that it was a unicorn that Adam Arishon brought, and that unicorn was mafris. It had split hooves and also was put on a korban, so it must have been a behemah tehorah. So too, it must be that the tachash is a behemah tehorah. So if that's the case, the min behemahu, let us then conclude also that it's a behemah. So the fact is that if it was brought on a korban, we know that chayot are not brought as korbanot. If that's the case, then it should also not only be kosher, it has to also be a behemah. Keman di'ika keresh demin chayahu, v'let keren, iklamemar min chayahu. Because we have this other animal, this keresh, is from the deer family, that is a type of chayah. V'let keren, it also is a unicorn. We have to say that that is also a chaya. So since we have other examples of animals that have a single horn that are classified as a chaya, we're not clear that the tachash was a beima, not a chaya. Because unicorn is so associated with a shore, beima, but also a keresh, which is a chaya. So the tachash could be either like the shore that is mentioned by Adam Arishon or the keresh. In both instances, it is a behemah teorah. It's just a question of whether it is a chaya or a behemah. And it's true that when it comes to the mikdash, only behemot were brought on the mizbeach, not chayot. But the Tosefta in Zvachim does say that when it comes to a bamah, it comes to the backyard karbanot that you bring, you are allowed to bring chayot on there, not just behemot. If that's the case, then we can't prove anything from the fact that Adam Arishon brought it as a korban, or that it was called a shore. Even though it was called a shore, but there's other examples of animals that have a single horn or unicorn, and they're still classified as, as a chaya. Alright, next Mishnah. Tilat abeged shikipla. If you have a tilat that was made out of clothing, worn down clothing, what they do with the extra clothing was that they would twist them into tilot. Tilat abeged shikipla, 
They twisted it into, or twined it into a wick. But they didn't singe it yet. That is still tmeyah, meaning that it still has a din of beged. Beged is mekabal tumah. And if it was tamay beforehand, it still has a status of beged, or it can be mekabal tumah. And you may not use it to light on Shabbat. Rabbi Akiva Omer, tehorahi, it's lost its status of a beged. Once you twine it, twist it into a wick, it's no longer a beged, therefore it's tahor. If it was tamay before, it's batel from being a kli or a beged now. And it's not tamay, or it will not be mekabal tumah. Umadikimba, and you can light with it for Shabbat candles. Snagamar says, Bishlama, I understand lenient Tumah Baha Plige. What's their argument about when it comes to Tumah? The Rebeleza Savar Kipul Enumawil. Rebeleza says it's not sufficient to just twist it. That's not enough to remove the name of Beget from it. That status, if you take a piece that's three by three, it's Ba'ot, which is a derivative of a larger Beget, that was Tamay, that doesn't ruin its standing as a Beget just because you twisted it. And therefore it remains a begad. Once you've twisted it into a wick, that already removes the name of begad from it. The question is, what can you do to remove the shame tumah from it? Generally, you need a maseh, you need an action to remove tumah from an item. If you want to be mevatel, that item, and change its status, you have to do something in action. Rekiva says it's sufficient to twist it into a wick. That's an action that removes it from being a begad anymore. Rabbi Leza says that's not sufficient. Not only you have to twist it, you have to singe it so that it's ready to be used as a wick. As far as lighting as a wick, what is the problem here? It's a fine wick. You're lighting it on Arab Shabbat. There's no problems of muksa. There's no problem of anything else. What is the issue with using this wick? Dealing with a cloth that is exactly three by three etzbaot. We're dealing with it where it was Yom Tov going into Shabbat. Again, on a normal weekday, there's no issue because on a normal weekday, we don't care what you light with. There's no din of muksa. There's no din of None of these restrictions that apply on Shabbat would apply on a weekday. But on Yom Tov going into Shabbat, where you are permitted to light Shabbat candles, but it's Yom Tov. And Yom Tov has the name of Muksa. The Kuliyama Yit Lehuda Rabbi Yehuda. Everybody subscribes to the position of Rabbi Yehuda, which is, Misigim Bekelim, Beimisigim Meshidrei Kelim. One, when it has a fire on Yom Tov, can use whole utensils to heat up the fire, but they may not use Shivrei Kelim, broken shards of Kelim, to either stoke or to heat the fire. That's because Rabbi Yehuda believes there's muksa. And if you brought in a kli into Yom Tov that was a whole kli, and then it breaks on Yom Tov, you have what we call nolad. The kli has now changed its status. It once had utility as a utensil, as a kli. Now it breaks, and now the shards are something else. That's nolad. That's something new that happened on Yom Tov, and that's called muksa, according to Rabbi Yehuda. So therefore, if you have a whole kli, a kli you can carry on Shabbat, you can use it on Shabbat and Yom Tov, because that's the way it came in to Yom Tov. And therefore, you can use that for the fire, according to Rabbi Yehuda. On the other hand, if you have shivrei kelim, you have shards of kelim, they are no lot, they are moksa, and therefore you can't carry them on Yom Tov, and you can't use them for the fire on Yom Tov. Both Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Akiva subscribe to that. That's number one. Broke on Yom Tov. Not that came in as shards into Yom Tov, right? Because if they already came in as shards, that was their designation, coming into Yom Tov. And everybody subscribes to the position of Ula, which we saw earlier. When you light the wick, you can't just light it. You have to hold the flame there until the majority of the wick takes in order for it to be good for the Shabbat candles. So now, Rabbi Eliezer, Savar, Kippul, and Umawil. 
people doesn't change the status from what it was before. It was a beged, and now it still is a beged. If it came into Adik Bay Porta, What's the minimum size or standard of a beged? Three by three heads boat. So when you have the three by three heads boat over here, and you twist it into a wick, according to Rabbi Eliezer, it's still a beged. It still has a shame beged. As soon as you light that wick, it's now dropped below three by three. Drops below three by three, now you have what's called shivrei kelim. You have a shard or a leftover of a utensil or an item that was an item before. Before it was a beged. Now it's lost instead as a beged. Then you hold the you fire there till the wick catches on the rove. What are you doing? You're lighting shivrei kelim. You're lighting something that's muksa. Kikamadlik b'shevri klikamadlik. And that's not permitted. Then when you twist it into a wick, obviously you have to twist the wick before Yom Tov. You didn't twist the wick before Yom Tov, then you're doing the same thing on Yom Tov. You're taking a beged and ruining it on Yom Tov itself into something else, which you can't do. So Rabbi Kiva Zarek it was twisted before Yom Tov. Vein Torah alive. It's no longer a beged. If it's not a beged, if you're lighting, you're not lighting something that was a whole item. Now it's less than a whole item. It was never a whole item. It was just like any other wick. It was like something that was originally a wick. So I'm Rabbi Yosef, I know the Tanina. Now we understand what we learned. Gimel al-Gimel mitzumam tzumot. Rebbeim taught me that it was three by three exactly. And I didn't know what that was referencing. I didn't know what the reference for that was. Now that Rav Adarav explains our Mishnah, now I know what that Olochah is referencing. And the fact that Rav Adarav explains our Mishnah according to Rabbi Yehuda, that both Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Eliezer subscribe to the position of Rabbi Yehuda that Muksa applies on Yom Tov. It must be that Rav Adarav holds like Rabbi Yehuda. And the Lord says, Does Rabbi Adarav really subscribe to the position of Rabbi Yehuda that there is Muksa? So if a non-Jew carves out of a log a kav. A kav can either be a measure, that was a measuring cup that he was making, or a prosthetic out of this log, which is nolad, something that's created in Yom Tov. Yisrael Masika Yom Tov. You can use that for your firewood on Yom Tov. Vamai, noladu. That's nolad. That means that it's muksa. Muksa you're not allowed to use on Yom Tov. If you subscribe to the position of Yehuda, you can't use it on Yom Tov. So my answer is like Shaul suggested before, the divrehem, the rebeliyez, the rebeliyakiva, kamarle. Rabbi Abba is explaining the machlok between Rabbi Ezer and Rabbi Akiva. Not that that's what he believes. That's not his position in Alacha. But he's just explaining. That's the only way to explain them in the Mishnah. And therefore, he says it. Rava Amar. Rava gives an alternative explanation. You're not allowed to light a wick going into Shabbat that was not singed first. Because if it's not singed first, it will not burn easily or well. And we know from the earlier Mishnayot in the Perak that we always want something that burns well going into Shabbat so they don't tinker with it on Shabbat itself. So it's not an issue of Nola. It's not an issue of Moksa. The Mishnah can be explained simply as how good a wick do you have? Rebekiva suggests that twisting it is sufficient to make it into a good wick. Rabbi Lezer says, until it's singed, it's not a good enough wick to light with it on Shabbat, because it may not take as well, may not burn as well. If that's the case, then you're going to have problems on Shabbat. So then, what are we going to do with that statement of Rabbi Yosef, that he had a misor from his Rebbeim, that we're talking about exactly three by three, at Baot. What was that about? That's for Tumah, that's none. Gimel gimel shamru chutz min amalau divrei Rabbi Shimon chumim armim gimel gimel mikuvanot. When we say three by three, that's both is tamei by begadim. 
We learned this the last two days in the Dapim. We know that three by three, it's ba'ot. It's still classified as a beged. To be makabal tumah because an ani would store it and use it for a patch. So now you have three by three heads ba'ot. We know that whenever you use a cloth, they also use a hem around cloth. That hem takes up a certain amount of the material. So do you need three by three beds ba'ot excluding the hem or including the hem? So we have a machloket tanaim about that. Which is, Rabbi Shimon says, gimel gimel shamru chutz min amalal. Excluding the hem. Divir Rabbi Shimon. The Chachamim say, no, gimel gimel kuvanot. Even three by three etzvot, which afterwards when you make the hem, will make it less than three three by etzvot, that's sufficient. Three by three etzvot is the, what they call in Israel, bruto, even though the net will be less than three by three once you put the hem on it. The gross number is three by three, even though the net number will be less than three by three once you make the hem around this patch. And that's what Rabbi Yosef's statement was about. Gimel, gimel, mitzumtzamot. It's exactly three by three etzvot, including the hem. And even though afterwards when you make the hem, it'll be less than three by three, that's the halacha is like the chachamim, that it's exactly three by three, and we don't worry about what you do with it or how you use it afterwards when you make a ham, don't make a ham. That's it, three by three is the number, and that's where the din of Rav Yosef applies. Tosfot says over here, first of all, that over here we really should have written rabo and not rovo. Venerally, and this is interesting, that the minog that people have, men have, to light these Shabbos candles before Shabbos and then extinguish them. It's brought down by halacha. That the man should light the candles, then extinguish it after, make it easy for the woman to light the wick after it's mixed to wood. He says, The loch is not like Rabbi Eliezer. So if that's the reason behind the machlok between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva, we're going to paskin like Rabbi Akiva. And if we paskin like Rabbi Akiva, then why do you need to have this minog? And this is a type of tila that specifically needs to be singed. Tila that we like, we don't need to be singed. So, what is our practice? Tosfat rejects this practice. Even though the locha, we do bring it down, that there is this idea of singing it. Two reasons. One reason is that it should be easier for the woman to light afterwards. But the other reason is that the man should have a chilek in the lighting of the candles. The lakat nerot Shabbat, even though the woman is the primary lighter of the Shabbat candle, that the man should have a chilek as part of it, as well as be active in the preparations of Shabbat. All right, we'll stop over here.